This is A Man's World, episode five, and my special guest today is Amy Jacuti, and she is in the Antarctica and is a diesel fitter. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, we'll jump straight in uh, because I came across you via Instagram and was amazed at what I saw uh, with your pictures based out in the Antarctica and then obviously being a diesel fitter. How did you end up going from Australia, which I'm guessing is your home country, through to the Antarctica? Um, it was a bit of a long journey, required a bit of determination. Um, I didn't even know that there was work down here. I assumed it was just wildlife and science, that's what we hear about. But um, when I was an apprentice, I heard about it from a, a colleague of mine. He mentioned that he was five back in the 90s. And I was like, like Antarctica, like the ice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. So I did a bit of research and had a look and I found the Australian Antarctic Division. And yeah, they've, they've got three stations down here, you know, lots of trade, you know, maintaining the buildings and holding all the science projects that go along with that. So I decided, yeah, I think this is something I'm going to aim for. So, you know, I didn't get it the first time. So I went and got the experience required over three years. And so, you know, I applied a few times, but I kept at it. And, yeah, and finally got here. Oh, wow. And, and I take it everything's kind of lived up to your expectations. Yeah, it's, it's quite a spectacular place. Very unique. I can imagine. Yeah. And, and going back to your trade, um, and you say putting the time in and, and the effort to, to get to where you are. So what exactly does uh, a diesel fitter do? I maintain, look after, repair heavy machinery. Anything from graders, excavators, dump truck, right down to fuel pump, water pump, chainsaws, anything with a motor, hydraulic, pneumatic, I fix it. Wow. Okay. Oh, I try to. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with some of those machines. That's tough work. I, when fitters come out and repair things on, on sites that I'm working at, I'm just amazed at, you know, how they know what they're doing to, to start things off. But then, yeah, it's, it's quite an incredible trade to have. Is it something you always wanted to be? And, and how did you, did you get started? Um, I was a bit of a late bloomer, so I didn't start. I mean, not being, I did with being a friendship until I was 23, so all that I was in retail and I was like, you know what, I want a career. And, um, you know, I kind of just had a bit of a career. We really like what kind of trades. And I, originally, I started a venture on the an aircraft mechanic, and, but that was around the global financial crisis. So that didn't quite work out how I planned. So one of the guys that was in my course mentioned diesel fitting. I'm like, that sounds really cool and the same sort of concept. So I looked into it, applied a few places, got an apprenticeship, and yeah, that was the beginning of his career, and that was over 10 years ago. Oh, wow, okay, so you took the apprenticeship route then, so I'm guessing pr- things were pretty hands-on from the start. Yes, yeah, yeah, so it was on the job base, um, and um, pace basically, with the pace once a year, and like a, once or twice a year in a three or four week block to do the theory, and then you would go back to work, practice all that, get signed off, and then the following year, or four years. 
Right, okay. Oh, awesome. And so once you were qualified, what, what was your first job? Um, so I stayed with the company that I did my apprenticeship with and I went into a field service role. So I was in a van by myself um, travelling out to customer sites. So like you know, in construction, it's a greater breakdown on site than someone will come to site. So I was, I was that person. I definitely learnt a lot. At that time, I think I learnt more. In that first year, I had my apprenticeship and I did my whole apprenticeship. Right. So, um, yeah, from, from there doing field service for, for a couple of years, um, I moved into a uh, supervisor role and then I embarked on my Antarctic adventure or experience in this adventure. So after that, I moved to New Zealand working a ski field to gain experience with three conditions with machines and generators that would be similar to here in Antarctica. So that was a that was a big step. So I was, you know, working on a career and I went, No, actually, I'm gonna go in this direction. So it was a bit of a turning point. Quite quite brave I imagine to, to then make a change. That first year, you were sent out to fix machines, and you were on your own. That must have been quite daunting. Turning up to a job with, you know, knowing or not knowing the problem of the machine that you're looking at. How did you find that? Yeah, sometimes it, it is a was a little bit daunting, um, but I do enjoy a challenge. And and knowing you most of the time could call someone if you were really stuck for advice. You would call one of the other technicians, like, hey, what would you think about this? And you know, the guys were always super helpful as the years went on, you know. Sometimes they called me too, so, yeah, that was nice. Oh, awesome. So you definitely became one of the team. Yeah. When you were doing your apprenticeship and when you started your job, were you the only female doing the role? Yeah. Um, for that company, Australia Wide, I was the first female mechanic to be employed. And through my time as an apprentice, I met one other girl at Pace. She worked for a different company. Yeah, and then for the next eight years, did not bump into another female diesel hitter ever until last year I met an apprentice on a mine site. So I haven't had much contact with any female diesel critters in my time. Yeah. There are plenty out there. Yeah, no, it's quite common um, with a lot of people I speak to. I think women in the trades were kind of spread out and uh, were yet to take over or, <laughs> or become equal, I guess. <laughs> but we're getting there. It's all good. Yeah. We have to move on to this adventure that got you to Antarctic. I, I've seen pictures of boats, of helicopters. You know, what the journey actually getting there, I take it was long and really exciting. Yeah, so um, I originally was actually just meant to come for the summer. So that's the three, three months, four months contract on the ice. But two, two and a bit weeks on the ship either way. So yeah, the journey down across the Southern Ocean is interesting. Lots of rocking and rolling on the boat. Acoustic people, <laughs> but yeah, after the summer, the day before getting on the ship to come home, after being away from home for six months, I was asked if I could stay on at a different station for the winter. And you know, it took a lot of a lot of deliberating and thinking about it's a big commitment to be away for fourteen months from your family and sure. friends. Because the difference with the winter is once you're here, there's no way home. So once that ship leaves, you're here the next nine months. The ship comes back. So I decided to stay on. Yeah, that's a pretty scary thought actually. Um once you're there that there's no just nipping home, I suppose when you get homesick to see family. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so normally you know, there's a lot of training and that you do before you come down 
um, yeah, just because you are working in isolation and in such a small community with station, I'm at 19 of us here. So we all have secondary roles outside of our normal roles as well. No, oh, that's pretty cool. I guess you become quite close and almost like family as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We need to get together, socialise together. The transition from working in Australia where, I guess, you you know, you get all seasons and all, you know, very copable weather to Antarctica, like, how did that transition happen? And um, I know you said that you had training to help you. Uh, with extremes, did you struggle at the yeah. start, and, and what what did you have to overcome? Yeah, I thought I really thought I was going to struggle with the cold. Um, I am a, sort of a summer kid, so I enjoy the heat. My my friends said to me before I came down, they're like, "Everybody we know, you like the cold for weeks," <laughs> so they couldn't really understand why, why I was doing it. But actually, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be because it's such a, a dry cold as well. Um, but when it's windy through. Um, but a lot of the training we do is in regards to on the job training, so with machinery and systems that are in place down here, um, you know, your secondary role. Yeah. So I think I've adjusted, yeah, quite well. Better than I thought I would. Oh, that's good. And in terms of repairing machines, I take it all the parts that you need are there, or is that not the case? Yeah, we have majority of the parts. Obviously, we don't have all the parts. Um, we have the common parts that we need, and then the more, um, for example, if sometimes we've had where we don't have the part and we've had to make it, so or we don't have the right tooling, so we have to make it. So I've definitely learned, and uh, as a trade person, have gained a lot more skills than I would have in the in the real world, as we call it. I guess the survival. Um in some respects when you're out there you have like you say you have to use what is at your disposal I bet you'd be a good person to be on an adventure uh, stuck in the middle of nowhere <laughs> I'd definitely like to have you by my side after your experiences yeah yeah we even um, have, have to do a lot of map and compass stuff so really back to the basics oh awesome map and compass which is great it was really good to do it like that and not the on GPS we have GPS as well but um, yeah, but to have that skill. Yeah, I can't imagine Google Maps is much help where you are. No, no not really. <laughs> no, there's no streets or roads. Ah, incredible. So, like, how do you get about, um, I saw on Instagram, the vehicle with the tracks on? Ah, uh, the Haglund. Right, okay. They look interesting and incredibly fun. They are fun. Um, they, they will be one of our main roads of transport over the winter. Um, at Mawson, where I've spent the summer, we use them in the summer as well, which is the landscape is a lot different. It was on the plateau and we were on the ice or on the sea ice before it melted out. Um, here at Davis, there's a lot more rock, so we have to wait for snow cover or wait for the sea ice to come in before we can drive on that. So, yeah, the Haglund, which is like an all-terrain vehicle, almost just like a bit of an army tank thing. Um, we have quad bikes. Um, they're out there, I mean, and walking. Ah, but yeah, that sounds amazing. And what do you do yeah. when you're not, you know, fixing things and, and doing your, your daily job? What what do you do in your downtime? Down here, um, we play a lot of board games. We do have full table stuff, board, cinema. A lot, you know, a lot of creature comforts, got a gym, 
corner. Um, I enjoy doing crosswords, Sudoku, learning new games, new skills. So at the moment, doing a bit of sitting and standing on the lathe, trying to learn learn a bit more doing that. So expand my skill set. Yeah, when I'm back home, I enjoy the outdoors, the beach, parking, or going to sport matches, music gigs, all that kind of stuff. Cool. And is there anything that you've really missed whilst you've been away? Fresh fruit and vegetables. <laughs> All right, yeah. We got that might be one of the... Uh... And real milk. All right. And real milk. Are you on um, powdered milk then? Yeah, yeah. So we've got powdered milk. We do have hydroponics where we do grow um, no leafy greens, tomatoes, chili, different herbs, capsicum. Yeah, just those kind of things. Lettuce, spinach. So we do have some some fresh vegetables, um, yeah, fresh fruit. I guess. You fresh miss fruit. the fruit, yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. And so the um, where you're working then, what kind of uh, the machines, what are they used for? What's actually going on at the station where you're based? Um, so a lot of the work actually mainly happens over the summer when the science projects are happening. The youth are used around the station, um, the quad bikes are used out in the field to get to and from huts or science, you know, places that are doing science. We've got boats and boat engines, like what the engines for the boat um, that support science projects, excavators, dozers, loaders for snow clearing, and so those, those will be used to the winter. We've got cranes, obviously generators, which power the whole station, um, chainsaws, having the ice. You're pretty busy then with things, um, you know, if, if something breaks. Are you on like a 24-hour call-out or is it pretty steady away? Um, so at the moment, there's, we've got three of us people for this year. And we take it in terms of going on a 24-hour call-out, so we do one week each. So that's mainly to do with the powerhouse. So if something happens in the powerhouse and there's a generator fault, we'll get a message to our phone that alerts the dispatch and we attend that so yeah it's on a rotating muster let's get on to some of this amazing wildlife that i'm seeing on your pictures what's it like being out there and you know having all that nature and beauty around you very surreal it was very surreal at first and so amazing we did go on a trip out to an anchor penguin colony that felt like you're in a david Attenborough film it was really awesome um but around the station, you know, we had a deli penguin and Weddell seal and Stuart Davis has got a deli penguin and elephant seals and, and, and Weddell seals as well. Okay. And you just look out the window and you're like, oh, there's like 20 seals on the beach. <laughs> um, so you go down. We have space distances we keep from the animals um, so we don't distress them. And, you know, make sure we adhere to those. That's the last thing we want to do is interfere with what they're doing. So sometimes... We got held hostage by a penguin one day. We were coming back into the station and it was in the middle of the road. So we literally couldn't go anywhere until it moved. I think we were there about 40 minutes waiting for the penguin to move on. So, yeah. And we've had wet seals that planted themselves across, you know, a stairway where, where we do drive. Um, then you just got to wait, be patient and let them go on their way. So... That, it's very surreal. 
I can imagine. Yeah. Right way, yeah, and I, 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 all in my head I can see is you know a mass expanse of snow and and nothing, and like you say, there's a, a little penguin in the way, and you know you you have to stop for that penguin. That's amazing. You just gotta wait. Yeah, I mean it's Some great. Of them are very Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's and then amazing. also you get some that are curious. They bitch and and or lay and stay quiet. They they will approach you oh. and check you out. So yeah, yeah. They're curious creatures. That must be absolutely amazing. Yeah, that was one of the pictures that I saw on um on your Instagram where I was like, oh look how close that penguin is and. Uh, it's just that that encounter must be amazing because the closest we ever get, I mean, the closest I ever get is, you know, in a zoo, which is just, it's horrendous, the, the thought of that. But to be actually out there in their surroundings and their environment um, is, I guess, a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, it really is. I'm very privileged. Very privileged. You want to, you, I guess, you're going to yeah, and and staying out where you are is that something like you said you were asked to do um, another season? Is this like a short term thing, a long term thing, or um, yeah? How long do you see yourself out there? Um, so I head home in December. I'll be home in December this year. So um, we work on a season contract. Okay. Um, you know, we can reapply for, for other seasons if, if we wish to, but usually you take a season, especially if you're being out here for 14 months or 12 months. You know, people have a bit of time off with the family and reconnect with everybody. Yeah. Before they're jumping into another one. Uh, yeah, so I'll definitely have some time off after this. Yeah, well deserved, I'd imagine. And adjusting back to the um, Australian weather uh, might be quite interesting for you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, just back to the the real world and lots of people and you know after spending time with just the same nineteen people and then arriving in Hobart, a, a mini city with with cars and going faster than twenty kilometres an hour. What would you say to any? Um First and foremost, any girl out there who wants to become a, a diesel fitter, someone who repairs machines, um, and they're worried about going into the industry thinking, you know, could it be incredibly hard? I mean, you are a great example because not only have you done the job back in Australia, but you've now done it in extreme uh, wilderness environment. Uh, so would you have any tips for someone? Um, don't let fear stop you. Like, if you want to do it, make it happen, um, you know. I've had people say to me, everything just seems to happen for you, but, you know, what they didn't see is how many cold calls I made to companies or emails or night classes I took up skill and the extra mile that I've done if experience is necessary. And sometimes it doesn't just fall in your lap, you actually got to work for it. Um, and you might get knocked down along the way and that's totally fine, but you learn from it and you just keep going. But, yeah, give it a go. Yeah, that's it. I think um, sometimes we question ourselves too much, but like you say, a little bit of hard work, you can definitely achieve what you want to do. That's some great advice. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say are some of your greatest accomplishments or sacrifices so far? Um, I, I definitely would have to say making it here to make actually be my greatest accomplishment. 
so far because, like I said, it's been almost four years to get here. Um, and it's also probably the greatest sacrifice too. So, you know, you know, in you over a year of my life, in you away from my family, my friends as well. So it comes at a cost, but it's definitely a great accomplishment. Are you the only female out on your team at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. Are you the only female? Yeah. Trade session, yeah. And do you think we... We're looking to get more, so... Oh, that's good. Oh, that's amazing. So anyone listening out there, if you want to follow in Amy's footsteps and head out to the Antarctica, then there's there's a place for you, I guess, in the future. I mean, I'm inspired. I think it's probably a bit late for me to change trades, but what an incredible... Um, experience to be able to do well yeah I I don't I'm not sure I can drag my 14 month old out and my husband but (laughs) maybe I saw on one of your posts that um you have days of 23 hours of sunlight is that right yeah so over the summer we had uh six weeks where the sun didn't set so um from mid to late November till in January, the sun the sun didn't go down, so it, it helped with the horizon. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty cool. It's, some people struggle with their sleep, but I, I think it's all right. We have pretty good lockout curtains. Um, but then on the flip side of that, over the winter, um, the sun doesn't come up in six weeks. So wow. as of June, we won't have sunlight for six weeks. So I think that will be tough. Um, but it'll also be interesting because we have all the auroras and that'll be amazing. We're starting to see them now as the days the days are shorter. Um, and it's pretty spectacular. Oh god, I bet that's I bet that is absolutely incredible. Um and not having any you're not gonna have any interference light from cities, so that would you're literally seeing them as in their natural, you know, uh, state. I bet that wow. Well, have you have you experienced them before or would this be the first time? No, the first one I saw was actually last week because prior to that I didn't really feel like getting up at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right. so, but now that the sun is setting around six pm, um, you know we, we can see them. Yeah, so that was it's pretty cool. You, you can't see as much with the naked eye as the, as the camera captures, um, but you can still definitely see it. We don't have any like said any light pollution at all. Right. I take it you've got a camera with you and you're um you're, you're getting pictures and making memories of, of everything that you're seeing and experiencing. Um, funny thing, all those pictures are from my phone, other than the Aurora one, which I borrowed one of the guys' cameras. Um, all those pictures have been from my phone because I'm not a huge photo taker and I really tossed up with the idea of bringing a camera down because originally I was just coming for the summer. Right. Um, so now that I'm in the winter, I wish I had a camera, but... In hindsight, every time, like even when we went to Osterrookery, I was too busy just taking it in to take heaps of photos. So I was just immersed in what was going on. And then on the way back, I was like, oh, I wish I'd taken more photos. <laughs> so, yeah. But there are people here who are photography enthusiasts and they take great pictures and they share it with all of us. So even if I haven't taken photos, I do have a lot of great photos that other people have taken. So. I think that's about yeah the best of best of both worlds there. Then if you're if you're able to immerse yourself and um, just take it all in, and someone else can take the pictures for you, it's the best of both worlds. 
I just wanted to ask you quickly, you said that you have uh, two jobs when you were out at the station. What, what's your secondary job? Um, as I'm ringing, I didn't do a lot of training or the two-month training over. So I have jumped on the hydroponics team. I'm helping out with that. Um, so normally, if you were meant to come down for the winter, um, some of the secondary roles will include late surgical. So we do have a doctor on station and all people will be trained as surgical assistants. So they spend a few weeks at Hobart Hospital, in theatre, learning how to be a visionist. Wow. Um, there's librarians, a postmaster, um, hairdressers, so, you know, people who are trained to be hairdressers. Um, there's anything you can think of that a little town would require. There's some, there's just some of the secondary roles. We have, we have a fire team. Everyone is fire trained. We're all part of the fire team which is on a rotating roster. Okay. And then we have a, a star team, like a search and rescue team as well. So, yeah, we've all got a few jobs on the go. I guess that makes every single one of you super employable when you go back to your hometowns because with that many skills, <laughs> jack of all trades, but master of all, I guess, as well, because you get all the training, which is incredible. Yeah, and we also help each other. Like, we all help each other out, so. Oh, we'll help the We're all one team. You really are selling this to me. And in terms of when you're doing your job, is there a lot of physical labour? Is that something you have to train for? No, it's no different to what I would do back home. You know, we do have a workshop, so you're not like you're outside all the time. You know, sometimes there are jobs where we have to be outside and just dress appropriately. But as for how physical it is, I was lucky enough to do my apprenticeship with some older guys who like to work smart and not hard. Mm-hmm. So rather than using all your muscles, they, they use smart ways and really taught me that. And I'm not as strong as the guys, so yeah, that working smart and not hard. You're the second Aussie to um, say that to me, so I'm guessing it's something to do with uh, your mantra over there. <laughs> because I think of the amount of times that I've used brute force and it's got me nowhere. <laughs> I'm really listening to yeah. that and taking yeah, that in. Exactly. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> We do. Sometimes, sometimes it just comes down to asking someone to help as well. Yeah. Not thinking you have to do it by yourself. Yeah. And are you excited to, obviously this has been an amazing experience, but are you excited to go back and work, you know, in the same trade when you get back to Australia? I'm not looking to the forward to the 40, 40 degree heat. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'm trying to work out what's the next step as well. You know, this has been my goal for so long. Right. You know, what's next? What's my next goal in my career? Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? I like it, always moving forward. I like the sound of that. And, um, sorry, yeah, carry on there. You're right. Oh, yeah, just just opening myself up for opportunities. Have you got any crazy, funny, or inspiring stories that you want to share? I don't know. I mean, the penguin one crossing the road is pretty cool, to be honest. That's going to be hard to beat. But yeah, they're, they're all they're all some pretty good stories. Setting up the you know ten thousand emperor penguins or navigating crevasses to find a crashed Russian aircraft. That was that was fun. Oh wow! Was a so you... trip we did. Um, across the plateau, across a heavily crevassed area. So, New Morton, uh, about 
50 or 60 years ago, a Russian aircraft crash, and and it's still there. So, you know, we all roped up, did a lot of training, so and then adventured out there, and so that was that was really cool. Very different, a bit scary um, when you're jumping across the holes that would swallow a man alive easily. You look down and it goes from this blue, 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 black, and you just can't even see the bottom. Ah. <sighs> and what did you find when you got there? Gary is walking. Oh, pardon? What did we find when we got there? Yeah. So yeah, so it's in pieces and it's definitely being uh, scavenged. Um, so it's just the body of the aircraft and the engines are, are, are off and they're in like a bit further away from the aircraft itself, but it's, it's cool to have a look at some really old planes. Can't remember what plane it is, though. Yeah, that's that must have been pretty. Yeah, pretty awesome. Wow, you've truly inspired me, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with myself and the listeners. And I wish you all the best for the rest of your time out in the Antarctica and then obviously a safe and non-sickly journey back to Australia on that boat. <laughs> so I just wanted to say massive <laughs> thanks. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think so many people are going to be inspired by this, Amy. Uh, incredible story. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries. Great to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to download and listen to this episode of This Is A Man's World, She Who Dares Wins. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you want to support the podcast, please head over to our Patreon page where you can grab yourself some extra bonus goodies. Don't forget to check out the This Is A Man's World blog where you can get show notes on every episode, where you can read exclusive blog posts from myself and check out our merchandise. It's www.thisisamansworld.co.uk. If video is your thing, then why not head over to This Is A Man's World YouTube channel. You can hit subscribe there and watch a load of videos of me out on the construction site. Or go ahead and follow me on Instagram. If you're listening to this podcast via the Anchor app, then please go ahead and leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear from you and I'll be answering all questions on a special Q&A podcast. Thanks for listening and see you soon.